Lend your ears, lend your hands, lend your movement, anything you can. Come to teach, come to be taught, come in the likeness, in the image of God. You can Happy like Sunday morning, Salt Lake City, Provo, Orem, and Colville. You're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture, a Sunday morning chit-chat about the issues, happenings, to-dos, the invisible strings that bind the greater Salt Lake Metroplex together. I'm feeling this music has got me in a contemplative mood. Talking a little slower today, taking taking it easy, thinking about the the cycles of plants, earth, fecundity, as it were, all these things today. It's an exciting morning. We have the whole gang. The whole gang is all here. Uh, if you're looking at your radio, to the left on your radio dial is the inevitable Christy Marcy, uh, co-host, uh, friend, colleague, a person with quite a few opinions. <laughs> Happy Sunday morning, Christy. Hi, Christian. That was a lovely intro. Hmm. Yeah, I, there's something about the music that just made me it made me think a little bit more. You know, take it a little bit easier. Perhaps be a better version of my radio host self than I normally am. You know, unlike when I'm with Ben Bolte, which brings out the the anger <laughs> in me. Um, that mirthful chuckle across the way is uh, you might you might remember Stephen. It's been a while. Uh, you remember? I've walked in the studio and I was all new phone. Who dis to Stephen? But but I think. I think he should expect a hard time for the next hour. I've been on a hiatus, okay? A hiatus. Which, interestingly, is a term for going and exploring soybean viniculture. No. Yes. Agriculture. Viniculture is wine. Never mind. <laughs> Maybe, are you making soybean wine these days? I wouldn't, wouldn't put it past you. Well, these new tariffs have been really hard on the soybean farmer, so I, I don't know if I'm going to have a job. I, people aren't paying their dues, and uh, so the Soybean Council of the Greater Salt Lake City area... Might be no more. I'm, I'm struggling. We're struggling right now. Well, the uh, best thing you can do is go to your local Takashi or Tsunami or uh, Sushi Emporium mm-hmm. and have, yes. order a bowl of edamame. Right? Pick one for the team. There was a viral video on the internet last week of somebody who put like a GoPro on a conveyor belt at a sushi restaurant. Oh, really? And it made me realize we don't have any conveyor belt sushi restaurants in Salt Lake, do we? Uh, not that I am aware of. They're quite delightful. I've, I have not heard of a conveyor belt sushi. Who can sushi? we talk to to make that happen? Well, Stephen, as the executive director and chair of the of the Soybean Association, mm-hmm. um, don't, isn't there isn't there one of your clients that you can go p- ask him to put a conveyor belt in? Well, no, but I am the vice president of the Conveyor Belt uh, Society <laughs> of uh, of North Salt Lake City, not mm-hmm. North Salt Lake, but the northern part of Salt Lake City. Uh, so you're marmalade. Yes. Okay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, Fair Park, Rose Park. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, in the booth, uh, Talon Chapel. Hey, Talon, how you doing? Oh, I'm just doing so well today, Christian. How are you? I'm doing okay. Hey, the music uh, also put me in a mood in which I feel like I should talk like this. Was there supposed to be a bees game today? There was supposed to be a bees game today. Something tells me it shan't be happening. And by today, you mean three, day, three days three ago? Day, right? Three days ago. Yeah, <laughs> four, uh, days four days ago on Tuesday. Wasn't today the day that Christy was going to be the queen bee and it's rained I know, I finally got some sway. It was a one-time chance, too. They just, the, Tony Park said they had an opening in the middle of the third inning, but uh, 
you know, so I think this is the universe telling me, <sighs> telling all of us that uh, it's just not meant to be. I'm not a third inning queen bee, Talon. <laughs> I am a bottom of the ninth, bases loaded queen bee. Thank you very much. You and Denny's, both grand slams. That's right. That's right. All right, so if you cast your mind back, Jolly Crew, uh, last year we had Red Butte Fritz coming in to talk a little bit about garden invasive species. I think we spent an entire an entire hour on Myrtle Spurge. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that show, Talon, where we talked all about Myrtle Spurge and the sap that like will burn you and how it's oh, an invasive species? Yes, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Now I was so confused when you first said that, but yes, I do remember. <laughs> It was terrifying. It was that terrifying hour of radio. It was like War of the Worlds when people were freaking out and like driving in their cars to get away from the aliens. It was like that only with invasive horticulture. Yes. Well, we've decided, you know, I, I still like this time of year thinking about, you know, things growing and what it is that we can do to our, to facilitate uh, nature and, and have the ebb and flow, as it were, nature and us. But hopefully we're going to have a little less Myrtle Spurge, blistering sap talk, as it were, this week, because we have Michael Kundik here. Good morning, Michael. Oh, good morning, or afternoon, I suppose. Depends you are, on yeah. airs, right? Well, it airs at seven in the morning, so at this point it's probably, oh, seven, oh... Seven on Sunday morning. Uh, people are getting up. They're stretching, perhaps getting ready to either go to a coffee shop or go to church, depending. But, you know, they're probably looking out over their yard or their acreage, their publicly owned lands. Perhaps there's a rancher or two within our radio listening. And they're like, let me think about the earth of which I am part of. Mm. Mm. So tell us a bit about yourself, what it is that you do and why you are gracing us today on this radio show. Well, sure thing. I mean, uh appreciate that you pick, you know, this time of year. I'm sure everyone looking out at their yards is seeing the enormous amount of growth that we're experiencing. We've had a really kind spring, lots of sun with interspersing of these nice, generous rainfalls. You know, not everybody has to have all their irrigation systems quite in line just yet. So yeah, great time to be chatting about this. Frankly, every day is a good day to be chatting about it, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, have been involved in the, the local agriculture scene um, for almost eight years now. I started a nonprofit called Artists for Local Agriculture back in the day. I was always uh, the rock and roller on tour with bands and such and never really felt like uh, knew what my issue was to bring to the world other than creativity and late nights around the country. So uh, when I learned that there is something called regenerative agriculture um, and there are ways to not only provide for our human needs but also our non-human community and regenerate the landscape in the process to me that was like oh gosh that's where you know we'd solve 90 percent of our problems if that was all in alignment and so very quickly uh found that nonprofit calling and then have been in that world for uh, almost eight years now currently i help run the salt lake permaculture collective which is a network of permaculture guilds which is where permaculture yeah permaculture might be a new word for some folks listening to this um you know a very simple way to define it it's a global movement's been around since the 80s and it's not exactly anything new Um, it's trying to say you know what would we be doing with our landscapes and in partnership with our landscapes if we were looking through the lens of nature the lens of the forest you know there's not a lot of people up in the forest watering and poisoning and cultivating things a forest kind of has its way of doing 
what it does without us interfering. And so how can we align our agricultural and our horticultural and our backyard gardens and our way of life, our paradigm, our way of being? How can we align that with the wonderful teachings that are uh, so um, demonstrated all across the planet? Hmm. Does that mean I can't have flowers? Oh, gosh, flowers are great. What are you talking about? (laughs) Permaculture says, hey, you know, grow what you're going to grow. But, like, if you're setting up a system that's going to consistently um, exploit the landscape and reduce all your topsoil and be dependent on fossil fuels, well, just recognize that that's the kind of system you're using, you know, and it comes comes at a cost. And if there are ways that uh, we can not only transition but also start projects that are giving back at the same time meeting human needs, I'd say that's an an ideal we can all – get behind and an ideal that actually has examples all over the planet of really being super abundant. So that really gets me very excited for the future of humanity when we have these options and solutions at our fingertips. If I may, you have you sir have a great radio voice. <laughs> you really like insofar as our guests. Yeah, I think he's got yeah. a great radio voice. I just because I never miss an opportunity to do so would like to share with Christian uh, Dorothy Parker quote that is related huh. to our subject at hand. Well, you're not just sharing it to me. I mean, what are you going to do out here? To, to the listening public. I know, but you, well, are, you are my target audience for all of my Dorothy Parker quotes. So Dorothy Parker, my favorite writer, has lots of notable quotes, but um, the one that is pertinent to this conversation today is, you can, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, talent, uh, uh, yeah, iffy. It's iffy. iffy. All right. That's iffy. Uh. <laughs> but what I'm hearing you say is that it actually takes a lot of thought to, to carefully plan your garden. Yeah. Yeah, so when people think permaculture, um, there's a movement globally where you can actually get your permaculture design certification. You certainly don't have to do such a thing, but it is all about the design. And rather than starting with like, well, how far do I space my soybeans? Um, it starts with the bigger question of what is the context? Not that soybeans isn't a big question. <laughs> I mean, no offense whatsoever. What I'm trying to say is that permaculture would have us challenge us to take the big picture view before we start to get super detail oriented and so obviously what you're going to do in the tropics is very different than what you would do on one of the poles right different plants grow different seasons all kinds of different things so it asks us to start what's the sun doing what's the wind doing what's the the water doing in the system what's the traditional highs and lows what are your yearly rainfall numbers all of those things should kind of be floating around on that big picture before you get super specific i mean so don't let the that, okay, I'm just going to put this out here because I know I've got. I know at least your mom is one of our my listeners. Mom, my mom is actually going to be able to listen in town to this episode. This is fantastic because I bet Christy's mom and I both have the same problem with, or the same fear. Let me put it that way. With your movement, I'm sitting here trying to imagine. I have a yard that needs an overhaul. Okay, so I'm at a point where I could do whatever like it's kind of a blank slate right now and i definitely want to do something that's low water that's more native species but i have a yard that has grass that my kids love to play on and the dog loves to run on and i feel like i by embracing your movement i am sacrificing a usable yard or else it's just going to look like uh uh uh, i don't want my yard to look like sagebrush in the and what actually the native valley of salt lake city looked like when the pioneers came in i guess it might be uh, arguable and so i'm i 
I, I actually have a lot of empathy for what you're trying to do, but I, it's hard for me to visualize my yard being usable. I feel like I would just be changing it into a, I have like 0.8 acres and that it would just be a big 0.8 acre of, of weeds that I, and then no longer the kids could play on it. Am I completely off base? Cause I, I have a hard time seeing in between. Cause I see a lot of people that zero scape and it just looks like rocks and tall grass and tall grasses. And I think Bravo, you don't use as much water as I do, but can you use your yard? Sure, sure. I mean, you're getting pretty detail-oriented here because there are so many different needs for any given property or, or larger property and deciding what you want it for and what the homeowner or the influencers want it for is one of the first things you got to address. I mean, I'm all about having a space to do somersaults, you know? I mean, grass can be really nice. I, uh, I tend to think that there's going to be a better uh, solution than Kentucky bluegrass, being that it is so heavily water and, and and, and chemical dependent. Yeah. However, um, there's some really great like yarrow and clover and uh, more like there's even some great research coming out of UCU about um, different grass options that were actually native to uh, this region that would require, you know, a third or two thirds less water. And so I'm excited for them to get that out to mass production and to start to really do the analysis on there's some great people on the city and college levels that are working on that. You know, but frankly, uh, you know, you talk about, you know, sage being kind of how this this landscape was i i, I agree with that there are um a, you know, hundreds of native species that all have different medicinal and edible and beautiful values to them. And oftentimes in this climate, yeah, you've got to do some kind of irrigation work to get them started. But after a few years of establishing um, a, a permaculture food forest would be one way to call it. Um, they can basically stand on their own. But we do have that three months of like no water, right? So you've got to really decide what your job, what your what your goals are. In my backyard, I got a big old clover lawn that I absolutely love for that section where we get to, to do yoga and somersaults or whatever it is that you <laughs> want your lawn for. Um, but you know, with 0.8 acres, I mean, it's just the design principles. Like, are you, um, how interested are you in getting away from the industrial uh, food complex that we're currently uh, subject to and really have no control over, you know, truck stop flowing in a couple days later, you know, we're not getting all this stuff from Mexico and China that's, that's feeding us. And so there's a question of security and resiliency as well in understanding what it takes. Plus maybe it's not just on your yard that you want to see this kind of food resiliency and ecological knowledge uh, widespread in your community. Maybe it's a local public space or it's a communal center that has a spot for a community garden or has um, opportunity to introduce these different species and not just go immediately to grass is the only uh, solution. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's lots of ways to view it. And really what we're needing is a culture and, and a social revolution of a pretty serious degree if we're ever going to have kind of a, a, a mass acceptance level, adoption level to the point where that is the norm is to look through that lens of, is this hurting the earth? Is this hurting my... Uh, human communities? Is this putting aside enough for future generations? And if those things aren't true, what are we doing to get to that point? Hmm. To think that our the health of our communities are not inextricably related to the health of our environment is one of the greatest deceptions of the industrial revolution. To think that somehow we could continue on just kind of extracting and exploiting everything and somehow like it's going to work out for future generations. I don't mean to bring in a bummer topic. I actually find a lot of hope and positivity and enjoyment in my day-to-day -day life being in service to these uh, ideals and in service to life um, and, and, and growing and feeding life. You know, that's what I'm really all about. And I certainly don't want to be a downer on the show, but there's a lot of work people got to do, you know, if that's, if that's a goal that humans have. 
What does your yard look like? Oh, my yard's pretty fun. I've got a couple of ponds and chickens in the back, and I've got dozens. I've got probably six or seven different fruit trees. I've got tons of fun native stuff like buffalo berry and service berry and currants and herbs of all kinds. And I've got uh, some garden annual beds as well. So I've got my uh, tomatoes and peppers and all of the stuff that you'd want to grow to have in your in your garden, you know, in your food for your kitchen. And I love making sauerkraut with the cabbage I grow and just, you know, things like that so it's a pretty little magical spot down in cottonwood heights where my wife and i live <laughs> so what i'm hearing you say is i can still do somersaults <laughs> i think you can do both with 0.8 acres my gosh i bet you could fence off a little portion do a little kitchen garden that your wife and kids will love or you know there's all kinds of ways you can design in what your goals are plus you know how how, how old are your kids at what point you know what what do you want to do is there a transition plan maybe later on mm-hmm. in life when you don't want to be mowing the lawn all the time and could just have all these these lovely little places to read and learn and do i'm things. there yeah. now what what can i do to not ever have to mow lawn again now you know um the first couple years of establishing uh, a permaculture food forest it does take more work right because you're re you're re-landscaping another thing i do in my yard is like i make sure that all the water that comes off my house is putting into rain barrels that then overflow into beds that are lined up so that the flow of water through my property uh feeds the landscape there's no like quick out into my neighbor's yard there's no bleed out point so every drop of water that falls on my landscape feeds uh that land and if i cut off irrigation entirely i'd lose some plants but my more established uh perennial shrubs and trees uh, would probably survive at this point just because they've had that chance to establish so imagine the first two or three years yeah there is some work to to get it realigned but we're we're also being challenged to think about the long haul you know what is what do we want this landscape to do for us forever um a lot of people like do annuals right so they're just tilling up the yard and they plant in their plants and they do their thing um every year you got to redo that process right annuals they're they're annual plants that's most of our vegetables right Mm -hmm. tomatoes peppers all that so there's quite a bit of work that goes into that and the the challenge that we're getting from permaculture is recognizing that our perennial medicines and food crops are actually uh, long-term, a lot more bang for your buck, labor and price-wise, as well as uh, beauty and also as well as appropriateness for the ecological zone that you're in. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an enormous you know life journey to, to get deep into these topics, um, but it, it is so easily shared by community because so many people are driving up to this vision of how do we take part? How do we learn about this? How do we feel like we're a part of something that is giving back to future generations and healing the land around us? That is so uh, important. Yeah. Speaking of future generations, Talon, did you, did you see this coming as our future generation? I probably should have, but uh, (laughs) I, I, as so, soon as you said, as soon as you popped up, said future, future generations, generations I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm up. Yep. Uh, so our token ask a millennial segment, uh, Talon, you are a you are a renter. Yes. Um, so, how do you feel like when we talk about you know sustainability, our yards, um, even things to the concept of you know we're, your point about you know. If, we're two days and trucks away from having incredible food shortages because we're part of a global system that depends on international trade and all this. I mean, is this a topic that resonates with you and where you are in your in your life right now? It's speaking for all millennials as we doesn't make resonate it with me now, not necessarily, but it's always something that I've considered. Uh, I uh, especially when I started to 
when I started to pay attention to like the the global food market and our local food market and you get kind of sick of seeing everything frozen and bagged in the local supermarket and uh for me it was more of a quality thing when you start to taste real quality food and things you know farm to table cooking is you just realize how much better quality it is and you wonder how can you start to bring more of this into your own home and uh my parents started making that we don't we don't back home we didn't have necessarily a very big backyard where they were able to take a little patch and made a little garden they grow a bunch of tomatoes some carrots uh some peppers uh and they and my dad especially comes from a farming family not necessarily like if you look at past generations he's from uh his family's kind of from the delta area and they had a lot of farming out there they grew up on farms mostly and so uh, it's definitely something that I hope to be able to do when I have my own property and uh, chickens I think would be great to have I'm not sure if I could be able to handle much bigger livestock but uh, <laughs> you know have, having some farm fresh eggs is pretty delicious at times I have to say, so I grew up on a real farm, like a working farm. Like I missed school dances because I had to take care of goats, like that kind of <laughs> farm for real. And uh, there is nothing less appealing to me than having to do that over again. <laughs> like, I, like I moved to the big city so I don't ever have to plant anything or grow anything. Or miss or, another dance. Right. Miss yeah. another dance <laughs> or like tend to anything, including my children, frankly, most of the time. And so. So do you get that? Like, are there people who are like, I just, I just want to rely on the kindness of my neighbors when things go sideways, because that's kind of where I'm at. So what do you say to me? Mm, well, I want to say so much to so many, you know, um, you know, even to the point of, uh, I'm actually on the old end of the, of the millennial spectrum. I'm kind of right at the cusp there. Um, I'm actually renting at my house in Cottonwood Heights and that's been, uh, worked on that food forest back there for three years now. And it did go through a couple of property transition owners as well. And so there is always that danger that someone will come in saying, you know, people won't buy this property unless it's Kentucky bluegrass where you don't have to skip school to hang out with the goat. Um, and I and I totally get that. Never school. There was a value placed on my education. Oh, it was oh, just the extracurriculars that I missed but, uh, sometimes. You know, speaking to you specifically, you know, a hundred years ago, almost half of our population was engaged in some sort of agricultural endeavor, right? And now it's less than one percent. And so we have to decide, you know, is that um, an acceptable cost of progress? Um, from a very, you know, initial superficial view, it might seem nice to have everything all bagged and frozen and ready to prepare pick up whenever we want at our convenience, you know. And better uh, not be bruised either. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. If there's a single deformity, you know, throw that out. You know, we don't want that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding here. Um, I see major problems in giving away our responsibility for resilience to um, the military industrial complex and the global economy. I just find myself very unsatisfied with that answer. And so um, are we saying that you need to bring in a whole lot of holistic management? Management, electric fence and cattle, you know, cattle grazing and milking uh, goats at five in the morning here on the city level. No, I don't think that's the picture um, where people are immediately 
leaping into with excitement. Now, I do run an acre community farm, community-driven farm in Mill Creek, Utah, mm-hmm. as well. And back there, we've got um, 3,500 square feet of, uh, of a CSA market garden space, so people can get the produce and enjoy that and get chances to volunteer with us. We have solar we're putting up. We have a pond, bees, a surrounding food forest, an orchard. And, you know, it, it can sound overwhelming um, when we've, especially when, I, I agree with you that, like, a lot of people are coming from, like, I hear this a lot where I grew up on this working farm or my grandparents, like, that was the punishment, right, was to go out <laughs> and pick bindweed out of the fields for hours on end, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not about that either. In fact, I think permaculture offers us a lot of solutions there because it's so, uh, one of the principles, it's self-sustaining, yeah. and it's also got a heavy principle in diversity. And so yeah. when someone volunteers at our farm, for instance, they're not just stuck, you know, pulling rocks out with no gloves for five hours on end. Like there's so many different things you can do. You can uh, learn, you know, how, how to manage the, the orchard part of it or the bees, or you can work in the greenhouse, or you can trim tomatoes, or you can weed, or you can learn how compost is made and how to spread it, or you can... Learn I don't want to know where know, compost comes from. <laughs> <laughs> well, our compost comes from Vive Juicery. They uh, give all their old juice tailings to us. We mix them with wood chips. Three weeks later, kabam, soil, the it's richest, ready. thickest, darkest, most amazing stuff you could imagine. Let me, let me ask <clears throat> if I could transition just for a moment. Sure. I'm very curious. So we live in a state that's got a libertarian edge, got an independent streak against, potentially against even the military industrial complex you're talking about. A lot of preppers mm-hmm. in, in Utah. And I'm, I'm curious because it seems like this is one of those come full circle items in culture where I would say that your ilk might be more on the hippie edge of things. Hey, the, they can't see us over they the can't radio. See okay, us don't make a, <laughs> but the, the idea of take care of the land, love the trees, uh, uh, be... The, he, he's dressed in an impeccable three-piece suit yes. with a bow tie and a there matching pocket square. I mean, it is. As, some gentleman farmer. Yes, it, it, but you also, I guarantee, might have Buddhist flags on you hanging on the front of your house. And, and, and so maybe I can put those stereotypes out there. The same way I can put out a stereotype that says that your typical Utahn uh, loves President Trump but thinks he's doing a great job and but that prepper part that that being independent part is something that I think is very Utah. Oh yeah. The, and and so I'm curious if you found that. Do you do you end up seeing people with maga hats showing up uh wanting to also learn how to have some independence on their property? Is that is that crossover happening? crossover is happening. I found it um, absolutely wonderful to meet uh, and hear Joel Salatin speak um, at the Utah Farm Conference earlier this year. And I think in his speech, I mean, he talks about all the history of, of organic farming versus uh, the bag of 10, 10, 10 and, and all the fossil fuel-based agriculture that we have today. And uh, he talked about how it's, it's actually quite a common thing these days where it's kind of the libertarians are growing all of this incredible regenerative food and it's all the, the hippies that are coming to buy it, right? So there is, <laughs> um, and, and, and so it is. There's this great meeting point where this is something we luckily all have in common as human beings on this planet: is we need food, and maybe we don't know how badly we need good, real food. Um, but I promise you, if you make that switch and start to explore, you know, making a substantial part of your diet uh, from local sources that you can shake the hand that fed you, um, the health benefits of that, the connection to the seasons, the connection to your community. I mean, there are just so many blessings that 
come bleeding in when you absorb that, like, I want good food in my life. I want it for mm. my kids. I want it for my health. I don't want to be diabetic and now 20 different meds 20 years from now because I've been eating high fructose corn syrup wrapped in the freezer for myself. Like, there's there's got to be a line at which we demand good, healthy, real, locally produced food. And that comes across every political spectrum, every uh, prayer flags or not, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's, that's something that we can all hold in common. And I definitely see a lot of crossover in the community that we're building. Um, definitely leaning towards the hippie edge here in the urban side, you know, because so many of us, they don't really want to have this dream of like working super hard in a field with a hoe all day, right? That's not the dream. But there's got to be somewhere in the middle of that where we can be responsible stewards of this planet and produce amazing food for ourselves and medicines for ourselves um, and build a community around that that instead of divides us further um, actually brings us together um, and my girlfriend has the Buddhist prayer flag so I, I, I respect for the Buddhist prayer flags I'm sorry you're what? girlfriend huh. mm-hmm. all right you're listening to you're listening to am 1280 and 97.5 fm the zone this is slc culture a sunday morning meander through the park of culture arts and interesting things in our community um we are talking about sustainable ways to think about uh the growing world around us plants and animals and such things uh michael kundik is our guest today um so see talent i got my reset in look at me you know congratulations i know three years and and i think this is only the fifth one that i've ever done um i sort of want to jump back to a little bit of what talent said and distill something out um we talked a little bit about what you do if you have 0.8 acres or your backyard, but I want to talk not even necessarily about it. It doesn't have to be a renter. It doesn't have to be an owner, but it, let's talk about an apartment dweller. Let's talk about someone who's living maybe in American Towers or something that's multi-story where there is no grass as part of the owned chunk of what it is that they have, but they have some interior space. They have some windows. How can they be part of a, a sustainable solution? powerful when you make the trade-off from living in a rural area and having lots of land to play with and instead you succumb to a city you're also inviting in a greater ecosystem of what that city is able to do i mean we've got wasatch community gardens in town that have been here since the 80s they've got dozens of community gardens all over the valley um, and beyond and so within walking distance there's probably some way for you to get involved right there's also of course growing off your balcony if you got a little bit of sun out of some window somewhere, you can start growing some herbs and you can start to taste that fresh difference. And then you can start going to the local food market. Because again, if you're stuck in an apartment building, I guarantee there's a near enough local foods market or a community garden you could get involved in. Um, but frankly, uh, it's hard for me to want to spoon, spoon feed any one thing that people could do to get involved. I mean, I'll definitely try my best. But ultimately, if that seed of serving life and inviting good food and community around growing food in a healthy way is important to you. If you put that seed in your heart, nothing's going to stop you from from that pathway. I mean, gosh, we've got the internet these days, guys. Just You can look up so much and get involved in so many different things, you know, and I'm sure like you've scrolled past a dozen things you could try in your, in your home, you know, even just today that you've liked or whatever, but how do we actually get out there and, and learn it 
and take the steps for it and even let a couple of plants die in the process, right? Um, it's okay. You know, that's part of what it comes with for being a farmer or a gardener. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happens. They don't, you don't save them all. You, <laughs> you learn, uh, you learn as you go. And that, that love that you're showing towards growing something else with your passion, um, is so good for your soul as well as the future plants that you've learned from if you lose one or two in the process. But just get involved. Pick up some potting soil over at any of the local nurseries or even Home Depot or Lowe's. There's plenty of potting soil. Get yourself a couple of herb starts right now. The whole valley, you know, over the next couple of months, nurseries are stocked full. All the plants you'd want to grow. The nursery folks are always happy to give you suggestions and ideas, even if you're just throwing up a potted plant on your balcony or some herbs on your windowsill. Totally ways to get involved. And even more importantly, supporting those local farmers, supporting those community gardens, um, and then building your own ecological literacy about what's really going on in the world and how you can support good companies, good community centers, good community uh, drives and initiatives that all come together to create this regenerative um, this re- regenerative transition that we, we're needing to take. All right. I've got another question for you. Mm. So here's the other maybe myth, maybe reality that goes through my head when I think of the self-planting. I would agree with you that a, a tomato grown in a garden is 10 times better than a tomato that you buy in a grocery store, for example. And in fact, my cousin who grows tomatoes, she won't even eat other tomatoes as a result. But I've also, uh, one of the, one of the barriers for me has been in a conjunction with my laziness and averseness to manual labor is, uh, that it seems like it would be twice as expensive or three times as expensive once you factor in labor and everything else to grow the food that I would eat versus, that industrial complex, which has brought the price of food down to a point that that's a lot more accessible to me. Is that just a fact of life and I'm making a trade-off? Yes, you're going to pay more to get better quality, or is that a myth in your in your estimation that's been perpetuated by our overlords? Oh, gosh. It's really... It's really both, and it's very multifaceted. If you look at the true cost of the global food industry, there are a lot of hidden costs that we're not having to face as consumers right now, and that's a really hard pill to swallow, to go down that path and realize, you know, how much of the agricultural around the world is subsidized, how much of it is dependent on cheap fossil fuels while they're cheap. And and so we're kind of stuck with this uh, accepting the norms of society saying that, oh gosh, you know, don't even try doing this yourself. We've already nailed Bag this down. Bag of carrots to is two bucks. So why are you going to try and yeah. grow your own carrots? The, yeah. the seeds will you cost also, two bucks. You also have a thing happening where, you know, less than 1% of the population is really involved in some form of agriculture. And so the, the, the way our communities are built and structured are not to uh, serve the resilient human. Uh, they're meant to get us used to off-putting all of the services that we might need um, or all of the uh, resources of the commons, right? All of that is now you pay for it with money. You, tr- you do your job, right? And then you can go and you can pay someone to do all these different things for you. Back in the day, people used to build houses for one another. People People used to watch each other's kids. People used to um, have educational programs on the neighborhood level. Like all of these things that we've now decided to off-put in the spirit of capitalism, um, it leads to a, a systemic isolation and a systemic um, loneliness, I believe. I mean, we can all get in, t- in touch with culture, you know, and find all the different things that make us happy um, in a city life. But if you look at the stats, you know, gosh, people are just not happy and they're not healthy. And we got to wonder what are the things underpinning this that have created 
include these things. So circling back to the food issue, if, if a very small percentage of the population is doing this because they've bought that you know hook, line, and sinker that, well, I just got to rely on the global system. They've obviously got this figured out. I'm not even going to try. Um, then it's a little bit more expensive as an entry point. If our communities were developed and organized in such a way where compost and wood chips and the knowledge of how to grow plants and preserve them was systemic to the community, um, then it would be far less expensive and we'd all be far more healthy, especially if we take into account the health impacts and the cost of health care in this country, um, almost all based on diet choices and the way that we've kind of succumbed to the global infrastructure of the food system, um, it's killing us. And we're choosing to pay cheap now in order to, uh, unfortunately, cause a lot of damage on the third mm. world side and shipping it all over the place and causing health problems later on. So it's kind of like we're being tricked on the superficial level to think that it's less expensive, but ultimately it is more expensive and we've all got to push, come together to make it more approachable for the average human living today. Okay, I'm going to jump two places. Is really quick, but first things first, Michael, where can people find some more information? Is there a website for what it is you're doing here in the community or a general place other than Googling permaculture that they can go or like, how do they, how do people who are listening to this right now find some support in their local community? Sure. Sure. Um, well, we've got uh, our website for our permaculture farm. Um, it's called uh, Krishna's food org. So a little background there. We're actually an acre farm behind a Krishna temple mm-hmm. in Mill Creek, Utah, which is kind of a strange place to end up, but it's also rare to find a full acre where you feel really uh, able to, to have a full on, you know, community farm. That's kind of hard to pull off in the city in general. Um, I would say, you know, the Facebookers out there, um, the Salt Lake Permaculture Collective is a very powerful Facebook group. A lot of active members, you know, people are always posting, what should I do here? What should I do with that? Have you heard of this plant? What's going on there? We've got tons of contributors there that can help you really begin your journey. Um, if you were to look up some of the greats in permaculture, um, I highly recommend uh, Joel Salatin. He was the one that first got me turned on to this idea, especially for all uh, the rural folks out there that are familiar with, um, you know. We're not picking on Colville. No, 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 no. no. Um, what I'm trying to say is like uh, Joel Salatin's great for that because he's a total libertarian, uh, just super smart guy, but written tons of books, super philosophical, but he's also got um, this huge farm in West Virginia where he's got this holistic management system where he's got uh, a series of electric fences that allow his cows to to move into a spot move on the chickens follow them and like fertilize the ground and like eat all the pests out of the manure and just like all of a sudden his like he's building topsoil by like almost a foot a year everything's just coming back lush he's totally revitalized this whole community he's got people that drive over a hundred miles to get his food because of how conscious it is and how healthy um, it is and so there's tons of entry points to permaculture it's like i said it's a global movement and so um, just kind of getting your research hats on but just think also like what was this land doing before we got here i think that looking at indigenous um, ways of life and also like learning about your native plants and learning about you know what this ecosystem is capable of is a journey you can do with your neighbors um, at the local library i mean there's just so many endless ways you could start your path in this and i think it all starts starts with that um, almost metaphysical conviction to serve life and analyze your life in such a way where what things are um, diminishing life, what things are making it harder for future generations and for our planet to thrive and which things are making it easier and the things that are 
causing harm, how do we transition them? Because there are people all over the world very obsessed with making that transition and can help you on your path, you know? Mm-hmm. And second, uh, thank you. Second point I wanted to make is I heard you were once in the musical industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This would be a good segue to uh, to mm-hmm. hand it off to Christy to do our cultural part of our show wherein we give people your music uh, do's and don'ts for the week. Christy, music section with Christy. You're not going to ask him about his career in music? You are the music. That would be up to you, Christy. Fine. Tell me about your career in music. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sure, sure. I mean, ever since I was 13, I was starting bands and through the whole jazz guitar thing growing up in junior high, high school. And then I got really obsessed with kind of this subset of weird, mathy, experimental rock and roll and electric violin player for years and got to tour the country multiple times in my 20s and really enjoyed that whole thing. I still play a lot of music. It's just more of a in holistic context to the rest of the things that I do. I'm also uh, was one of the co-founders of the SLC Air Protectors, which is a big 501c3 uh, air quality and environment mental quality group here in the valley as well so i stay really quite busy the music is life also music fits into this a hundred thousand percent right so uh, my, my current band is called american forest gospel and we've got a fa- uh, page on facebook that you can find that at but mm-hmm. okay christy was a music critic yeah. yeah, but uh now i just tell people what shows are coming up which <laughs> is better actually uh so i've Talon, I think you are more uh, the target audience for this band than than I am. But the first um, Salt City Sounds concert, which is another radio station in town, is doing this series of shows at the Gallivan. Um, and the first one is a band called Cheat Codes. Do you know them? Hmm. Yeah, that was a bad guess because I've never heard of them. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it might even... Be younger than you. <laughs> How does that make you feel? It makes me feel really old. My daughter is graduating from high school in two days. So I am officially an old person anyway. Um, so anyway, so that's Thursday. One cool thing about the Salt City Sounds, which I don't, I'm not the target demographic for it all. Um, you guys may have heard that they canceled the Bonanza Festival down in Heber. But one of the things that they did is they picked up um, Empire of the Sun, which was the only band I was interested in seeing at Bonanza anyway. And an amazing movie, one of the first by that Christian Bale starred in. Ah, uh, yes. That's very different. It's a very different thing. <clears throat> well, they shouldn't have given it the same name then. <laughs> they shouldn't have. That was a mistake. Um I also want to mention that there will be lots of music in town next weekend because it is Pride Weekend. Yes. So there'll be like there's some drag queen stuff going on. There's lots of stuff going on. Um, But I'm going to focus on the more on the bigger venues for this week. So in um, Ogden is the Ogden Music Festival. Hmm. Mavis Staples is the headliner on Friday. What? And if you have never seen Mavis Staples live, uh, oh my yeah. gosh, Oof. you should do so. 
I've seen her, uh, you know, six times, and all six times she gives the same speech about how she marched with Dr. King, and I cry like a baby every uh. time. Um, go see Mavis Staples in Ogden, seriously. She's a headliner Friday night. Saturday night, the headliner is the infamous String Dusters, who... They're fine, but they're not Mavis Staples. <laughs> I mean, if you have to choose a night, choose Friday night. There's only one Mavis Staples, though, in, in their defense. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, if that's not your speed, uh, Bella Fleck and the Flecktones are opening the Red Butte concert series um, the same night on Friday night. And then um, the only other thing that's really on my radar is Saturday night. Um, so <laughs> I can't wait to see what you're about to say. Yeah. So you are familiar with the idea that there are Grateful Dead tribute bands, right? I've, I've heard of these uh, um, roaming. There is be- there's a band Bohemians. playing in the Commonwealth Room called the Garcia Project, uh-huh. which is a Gary a Jerry Garcia band tribute band. <laughs> 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 and I love that idea so much that like I don't know what to say about it. Ninety minute set that's like two and a half songs, something like that. Uh, but it should be a good time anyway. And yes. that's and that's all I've got. And go to Pride and do that too because there'll be lots of music around town because of Pride. Indeed. Another week where the Beach Boys didn't come to town so we're all safe from Christie's uh, longest diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the Beach Boys at the Sandy uh, uh, Amphitheater. You didn't see the Beach Boys. That's the problem. Oh, you think oh. you saw the Beach Boys oh, but you saw they? Mike Love yeah, and yeah. some yokels who get to call themselves the Beach Boys because of a frivolous lawsuit. Really? If, yeah. Brian Wilson tours as Brian Wilson with more members of the Beach Boys than the Beach Boys have. Oh, that's Mike off. Love is a terrible human being, but Brian Wilson is coming to Sandy this year, and they have a beer license now. Oh, insane. So is see. it full strength beer or 3.2? I don't know. They can sell beer now, so whatever right. that means. <laughs> Aren't you a Sandy native? Aren't you a Sandy man? The yes. San, the Sandy man can. I grew up on Dimple Dell Drive, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. I am from the Sandy. Oh, you are the infamous. Oh, I, okay. That explains. That explains some interesting passwords and uh, other other <laughs> social media presences. That explains so, my stripper so, name. Yeah. I grew up on Dimple Dell Drive, and as you know, to make your stripper name, name of your first dog, and the sit in the street you grew up on. So I am Goldie Dimple Dell. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up on Marcy Road, so those games were never fun for me. Aww. And now we've given everybody all the information they need to steal our identities. That's true. Oh, fetch. Well, you know, this is just one block of the Zone's commitment to culture. <laughs> Following us, co- I mean, as if anything could conceivably follow us, uh, is the Movie Zone with Austin and Adrian. Um, so... We like to talk about movies. Yeah. They like to talk about movies. But we always like to give them a little shout out. So you're going to stay tuned after we're over to hear about them. So let's think about gardening your, movies. Gardening plants. Gardening. Ooh, can I do Little Shop of Horrors? Can I claim Little Shop of Horrors? I mean, it's nominally yeah, yeah. a plant you movie. You can take that. Yeah. Sure, sure. I'm going to take The Gardener. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Inhabit, inhabit a permaculture perspective. That's a great movie. Grapes of wrath. Grapes of wrath. That'll count. We'll take it. We'll count it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I guess in what happens when Mother Nature teaches us to rely on the uh, industrial complex because she has abandoned us. Mm. And Henry Ford. Ah. Wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You mean the guy who invented the Model T? No. The actor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, well, that's our contribution to Fonda. Oh. 
Henry Fonda. I was going to say Henry Ford, I'm pretty sure, is the Model T guy who really started the roots of the military industrial complex. Uh, Talon. I'm struggling so bad. Like, seriously, the only movie I could think of that has, like, gardening in it is. I can't even remember what it's called. It's a Wallace and Gromit movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, that would count. The one with the. I love Wallace and Gromit. The, That'd I be just my remember answer there's if one the, that has a lot of farming in it. The yeah. I, the I'm struggling so bad. Yeah, the that one. Rabbit. Yes, you got it. The Were Rabbit one. I've got to say, if the if the topic was your favorite movie about cheese, Wallace and Gromit would definitely be my answer. So I get it. Cheese is an agricultural product. With all those goats, didn't you turn some of that into cheese? They had a, they had the most wonderful goat-based Thanksgivings, though. We had cows, too. And by the way, it has occurred to me that a goat is the only answer to how can I get out of mowing my lawn. <laughs> without, and it's not, it's not the answer. This conversation on, you had a permaculture guy circle. for an hour, and you're telling me goats are your only alternative to a lawn? <laughs> well, let me start from the beginning here. Yeah. <laughs> It, you know, the Wallace and Gromit made me think it was the fabulous Mr. Fox. That's nominally against, right? No, that's Mr. forests and uh, that's not gardening. Isn't doesn't he have to like break into the giant evil gardener's? Like, oh yeah, that's true. Farmer's place, like isn't that the I, whole thing? I retract my former objection. One point for Christian. Thank you. Uh, our Foley man is asleep at the wheel. Hey, Talon, how many minutes are we at? I'm guessing we're at 10, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Eight or nine, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM, The Zone. This is SLC Culture. We're having a meander through a park on sustainable agriculture and growing things. Michael Kundik is our guest today. Uh, Michael, for our for our people who prefer to sleep in ugh, instead of getting out and working on the garden first thing, uh, our late to bed, late to rise kind of folk, um, permaculture, let's go back and give them a, a basic definition of what it is and why it's important. Oh, sure thing. Sure thing. Yeah. Permaculture, uh, simplest definition is a conscious design science for harmonious human settlement. That's your simplest definition? It's my simplest one. <laughs> it's actually, yeah. That was only about 10 words. It's oh, pretty yeah, small. Just because he speaks on your vocabulary level, Christian, doesn't make it simple. <laughs> I didn't have my microphone or the soundboard when Kristen misused a word earlier, but I oh. think that we should have a sound for that. Just like a ding, ding, ding when you use a GRE word, like you used a word that meant wine for oh. soy oh, yeah. So I think we should we should get one of those because it might happen again someday, and I just want to make sure we're ready. So but Talon, have I your finger on the it. button, Talon. Yeah. On the button. I did acknowledge as soon as it, the word came out of my mouth that I'm like, this is not the correct word that I am looking for. Unless, of course, it's back to that, can we make wine out of soybeans? Which I would and think... And what was that word? Uh, viniculture. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was very sharp. <laughs> I have to as- assume that the soybean has some sort of sugar in it, right? I mean, the, doesn't it? The sure. Mo- it must That's have how he makes uh, soy- soybean uh, uh, pie. <laughs> <laughs> what? You can make soy ice cream. That's you can make soy ice cream. Yes, it has natural sugars like all plant life, and you can distill that down to probably not a very good sugar for you to replace regular sugars with. But it's all got fructose in it at some level. Or does it have lactose? Because you milk a soy, apparently. Okay. <laughs> very, very tiny, very tiny teats. Yes, you gotta have little tiny hands to extract the soy milk. Mm-hmm. 
nope. no no that, yeah they got cut all right I, well we just got we just earned 15 more seconds so <laughs> let's go back to our guest with his simple explanation well that and all right favorite permaculture plant not that any plant can't be a permaculture plant but favorite well, i guess bluegrass can't we've discussed that mm-hmm. favorite permaculture plant you got one you are trapped on a desert island and i know your answer right now would be what is the what grows naturally on the desert island so you can't use that uh favorite anyway, utah permaculture, utah permaculture northern plant. utah mm-hmm. you are trapped on antelope island yeah <laughs> 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 Oh, gosh. Well, there's so many uh, interesting uh, limitations you're putting on me. I think that uh, everyone should learn about comfrey. Comfrey is an excellent plant to know about. Comfrey? Um, Yeah, comfrey. Which family of plant is that in? Genus and species, please. It's an herb, and I'm not going to go Latin with you at this moment. Um, Not after that smackdown I gave you. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. Um, Yeah, comfrey's great. It's it's one that would go great under any of your fruit trees or just trees in general. It's a very powerful uh, herb that people will use to um, create salves for arthritis. If you have a bruised or a broken bone and you wrap it as a poultice. It makes it heal very quickly. It's also a plant that puts down about a 10-foot taproot and comes back every year, and so it's bringing up nutrients from deep in the soil that the other plants can't access. So it's great around a fruit tree because you can just chop it down at the end of the season, and it adds all the nutrients that it's been pulling up and creates a living mulch for your fruit tree. And hmm. mm-hmm. It is uh, Symphytum borgenasi. Thank you. It's part of the borage family. Family of plants and borage has edible flowers. It sure does. Even the leaves are edible if you rub them a little bit first. They're a little spiky, but well, all right, <laughs> all right. Then. Did, did that happen in Sandy when you were a child? <laughs> Not often. Although I did grow up on an acre and I had many fruit trees. I had currants. I had, uh, I think it was a wild asparagus because it was nuts. Yes. Asparagus, <laughs> and, currants, great. Uh, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries. We had a lot of. Uh, of, of wild fruits, wild plums. I, I loved that part of being on that land. Growing up like that, I didn't have to miss any dances for it either. It was great. See, there you go. Did you have to pick up the dead fruit from the fruit trees, though? Because I always hated that. Uh, like, the, at the end of the year, like... Why didn't you make the goats do it? <laughs> I mean... It was just... I know. There was she still... swallowed a spider to catch the fly. <laughs> yeah. I don't here, know uh, Here, Green Urban Lunchbox is a local nonprofit. You can register your fruit tree with them, and they'll come get it all very happily give you a third of it if you want another third goes to food banks another third they make into jams for fundraising phenomenal program they will come and, and pick your fruit they will fruit come and pick it for you and even buy. give you some yeah, yeah. Wow. but yes i know yes it would fall no we didn't pick it up mm. Mm. compost all right michael so now we're heading into the last segment and this is one that we do every week just actually we do christie's music segment every week too uh i think that uh we do a really good job as a state and area of asking people to come to Utah, fly, drive to Utah, fly to Salt Lake International Airport, and then we push them out to the national parks or the ski areas. We don't really do a great job of saying Salt Lake City, the Salt Lake City metro area is a cool cultural place that you want to hang around for a couple days because like you would in New York City or San Francisco where you would take advantage of the culture of this area. So what I ask all of our guests to do is to pretend you're a concierge and you've got an out-of-town guest coming in from wherever and you're going to Walk them through a day of taking advantage of the cultural offerings that the uh, Greater Salt Lake Metroplex has to offer. And so the things are you can't send it to national parks or just going out and like skiing because everybody knows that. 
That's low-hanging fruit, as it were. Ha! Uh, wow. Thank you. Christian. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> well, whether they wanted to or not, I'd probably want to walk them through a couple of the awesome farms in the area, because I'm a bad concierge like that. I've always got this, uh, this earth-centered agenda, you know. Mm-hmm. I'd take them down to maybe the Wasatch Community Gardens Green Team Farm, run by James Loomis right over there by the gateway. You want to talk about an acre and a half dialed in, man. That guy has got it going on. He's been a personal mentor for years. You know, checking out Gilgal Gardens, getting up to Red Butte, right? Like, there's all kinds of great stuff. And um, I don't know, man. I'm usually busy in my garden, so. (laughs) You're not not a man out and about town. Uh, You know, if you have, do you have a favorite, like, special occasion restaurant? Perhaps, whatever. Whatever you're celebrating. Special occasion, you're like, you know, I really want to go to... I have just been blown away by Seasons uh, on State Street. They're a new uh, vegan uh, restaurant that is just amazing. You would not think it was vegan. Not that that means that vegan food is bad, but gosh, Seasons is killing. If you're in for a fine dining experience, they have really done an incredible job there, and they source all their stuff locally. I also love Omar's Rotopia. Rotopia. Oh my gosh, yeah, they get lots of great local source stuff. Super delicious. And I love Omar. Like he's yeah. one of the best characters in all of Salt Lake. <laughs> Omar's I think. amazing. So uh, Rato- we get stuff from our farm from time to time too. Uh, Rotopia is on what thirty third no twenty fifth south, and it's it's by the bowling alley. They moved. Uh, they're over on the Belt Loop. Belt Loop. Uh, that's what I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, right about 39th south in, in that the, little strip mall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and seasons. What's the crossroad on State Street for that one? Oh, isn't it like eleventh or fifteenth? I forget if it's before or after thirteenth, but seasons. So are you a vegan? I am a super snobby meat eater. Um, okay. I will get grass-fed beef uh, from time to time. And also, I love, uh, we're really blessed to have uh, the local um, butcher down um, near Gilgal Gardens. Gosh, uh, Beltex oh, Meats. Beltex, Beltex, Beltex. That place has to be guarded, loved, consumed, uh, appreciated, donated to, whatever we can do to keep that alive. Those guys are amazing at what they do. They source all of their animals from uh, sustainably raised farms in the area, and they butcher them themselves. And like, if you're going to eat meat, do it in a way that is good for the animals and good for the planet. Please, dear God, support Beltex. They're amazing. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. My daughter is a vegan. My family's coming in from Kentucky. My stepfather is a, is a meat and threes kind of guy. And my daughter is a super complicated vegan creature. Mm-hmm. And we all need to go to dinner mm. while, while they are here. Where should we go? Go to Omar's. Right, you can, he can get the bison, you know. He can get the the fish yeah. if he wants, and still, like the vegans are just in heaven. Everything's cooked with love. That's that's an easy one. All right, closing question: uh, You got to send somebody out for a nightcap. Where are you sending them? Hmm. Come chat on my back porch. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, no I mean, gosh, if you're into, you know, the, the Metro Bar, I love Jeff Hacker down there. They still bring in some really great musical acts. Um, but gosh, I, you know, I just don't hit the late night bar scene too much anymore. So, Well, you know, sometimes there's no place like home, and that's the way we like it here in the greater Salt Lake Metroplex. There we go. We're a bunch of home, a bunch of... Home-loving people here. Thank you, Talon Chapel, for manning the board. Appreciate it. Michael, thank you for being here. Steven, good to see you, my friend. Uh, Christy, you are a rock, not an island. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week on SLC Culture. Stay tuned for the Movie Zone. I give thanks. I give thanks. A
Stay tuned. The Movie Zone comes your way next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. This is Tony Parks and Austin Horton. When it comes to Tyler Huntley, I think he started to show some really good promise there for a bit on what he's ultimately capable of. Now with him being healthy this upcoming season, I'm curious to see what he does with Coach Ludwig. Can Coach Ludwig get the absolute best out of this guy to get that type of efficiency for a premier year to take place? What excites me for Tyler Huntley and Andy Ludwig is I believe Andy Ludwig when he says he uses the player's strengths to their advantage He wants to take what you do really well and make the team excel on that. And I thought Troy Taylor did the opposite. Tried to make you into something so that his scheme would work. And I think that will benefit Tyler Huntley. Tony Parks and Austin Horton. Weekdays from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.